0: the healthiest relationship I've ever been in. And I'll tell you why. She's the woman of my dreams, yet if we broke up tomorrow, I'd be okay. Because I'm such at peace knowing that this is happening for me, and she's in my life for a reason right now, and hopefully it lasts a long time, but if it doesn't, for whatever reason, we weren't supposed
1: to force it. Hey everyone, welcome back to On Purpose. I love that you come back every single week to listen, learn, and to grow. And I'm so excited to be talking to you today. And I'd love to invite you to come and see me for my global tour, Love Rules. Go to jsheddytour.com to learn more information about tickets, VIP experiences, and more. I can't wait to see you this year. And you know that I'm always trying to connect with incredible guests, incredible minds that can share insights to transform our lives. Now, today's guest is probably one of my closest friends. I am so excited to sit down with him because it's his first appearance on the show. I've been grateful to be a guest on his podcast twice, The School of Greatness. But this is the episode where we're going to dive into his extraordinary life, extraordinary mind, and how he's created an extraordinary world of making an impact, making a difference and making people find their own greatness. So for those of you who don't know or need a reminder, Lewis Howes is a New York Times bestselling author of the hit book, The School of Greatness and his latest book, The Mask of Masculinity. He's a lifestyle entrepreneur, high performance business coach and keynote speaker, a former professional football player and two sport all American. He is a current USA men's national handball team athlete. He hosts a top 100 iTunes-ranked Apple podcast, The School of Greatness, which is over 250 million downloads and over 990 episodes, coming now to the 1,000th episode. Lewis was recognized by the White House and President Obama as one of the top 100 entrepreneurs in the country under 30. Details Magazine called him one of five internet gurus that can make you rich. And this part, Lewis is a contributing writer for Entrepreneur and has been featured on Ellen, Good Morning America, The Today Show, The New York Times, People, Forbes, Fast Company, and so many more. His interview style is probably one of my favorite. He's had some incredible guests on the show. And today we get to dive into his mind. None other than one of my favorite people in the world, Lewis. My man, let's go. Dude, I'm excited, man. So, literally, I this is like- I'm, We've been talking about this for years. It's like, we got to get
0: to do together more and do more stuff together on audio. So I'm pumped, man.
1: I've been looking forward to this for so long because I think the last time I interviewed you was the first day we met. It was
0: October 31st. I believe it was Halloween. Yes. Uh, 2017. Yes. And you were, you were still like pretty unknown. I think you had like maybe 100,000, 200,000 fans on Facebook. You were doing a video a week. No one really knew who you were. But I remember seeing your stuff as I got pitched to go on the show. And I was like, oh, let me research this guy a little more. And I was really inspired. I was just like, you're, you've are you got it. I was like, you're going to be massive. I didn't know you'd be this big this quickly, but I was like, you are going to
1: crush the world. And it's been amazing to watch, man. Dude, I was I was such a fan when I reached out to you. And I was such a fan of so many people in the industry yeah. and what was happening. And what I loved about you is that as soon as I reached out to you, I heard back, we'd booked you to do a show at NASDAQ. So I used to do a show called NASDAQ Reads and interview people there. And and you reached out. And then this is the amazing thing about Lewis that I want people to realize. And it's good that he gave you the context of where I was in my career. So we do this interview and it's the day of his book launch, right? <laughs> this book, this beautiful book here, yeah. The Mask of Masculinity. Yeah. And he's doing it and I interview him about it and it's fascinating. It's a It's a brilliant book, which we'll dive into. And Lewis goes, do you want to spend the rest of the day with me? And I'm like, this guy's got a book launch. <laughs> and he's asking me in New York City whether I want to spend the rest of the yeah, day with him. I was like, here. cancel
0: everything on your schedule. Let's hang out. Let's walk around the park. And yeah. I did. Yeah.
1: And I literally canceled my whole day. Yeah, it was fun, man. And we spent the day together and we became instant friends. And then I think I met you once in LA before I was moving here, which before I even knew I was moving here. And... You know, you were the one of the big reasons where you were just like, no, you should move. You should definitely move yeah. to come across. And uh, yeah, man, you've just, I think we managed to see each other every month. We try. Yeah. Maybe there was a couple months There's, we didn't, but yeah.
0: COVID definitely slowed us. Down. Yeah. Almost every month we either see each other, talk, do something together in the last three years.
1: Yeah. but I, It's but been but fun, I mean, man. Absolutely. Your
0: journey Your journey has been unbelievable to see how, and this is what people need to know is like, you know, even if you've been working for 10 years on something, because you've been working on your craft for a decade as a monk and then just teaching in schools and then corporate life and then HuffPo, like you've been working behind the scene for 10 years. It can take, you know, a few pieces of content or one piece of content that will be the thing that sets you off with momentum. You know, someone like Rachel Hollis, she spent 10 years writing books and doing events with a few hundred people max and then one piece of content, a book launched her and you had these videos that just they all launched and it took you to another level so in this book you have now coming out it's going to be a game changer i was just reading through it again before i got here and i was just like there's so much great information in this but it's wisdom from the years of practice and years of experience so that's what i think people need to know is like if you're a creator if you're someone who's got a gift inside all it takes is one piece of content for you to really pop so just keep creating Mm -hmm. and that's what you've done beautifully you keep Thank showing up. You, man.
1: Thank you, man. And, that's, yeah. and today I want to go back into your journey because, you know, we've known each other for some time and I know parts of your story, yeah. but I really want my community and audience today to realize everything you've been through that yeah. has made you who you are today yeah. because you've been through some incredible transformations and transitions in life. Still doing it, man. Every day. <laughs> every day I got I to gotta grow and transition, man. But, but let's take it right back to the beginning. Yeah. Because I think that there was, obviously when you took out the mask of masculinity and you started talking more about your childhood and experiences you'd been through that had formed your life today. Yeah. And you started to get this courage to be able to share it, which uh-huh. took so much vulnerability and humility and so much from you. Yeah. Tell us about how that and coming to grips with that opened up more growth in your life?
0: Well, I think we all have some type of trauma that we've dealt with, whether it may be neglect or abandonment, uh, sexual abuse, emotional trauma, something, or someone just said something to us that we felt like we've held onto for decades that we can't forget. Some kid, a friend, a parent that said something to us. And so I don't want to minimize or maximize anyone's trauma because everyone has their own stuff they've been through. Personally, I grew up in a small town in Delaware, Ohio, which is uh, as middle America as it can get. And my third memory is being raped by a man. So I have very few memories from my childhood before five. But when I was five years old, I was raped by a man who was probably 16 or 17-year-old uh, guy who was the son of a babysitter that I would go to after kindergarten. My mom was working. My dad was working. The, I was the youngest of four. And so they were always working until later at night. So I would go to babysitters every day. And um, that was one of my first memories is this experience. Except for 25 years, I never told anyone because I was so ashamed that if people actually knew this about me, they would not love me. They would not like me. No one would want to be my friend. They would look down on me, all this stuff. I would be less than a human if they actually knew that I was sexually abused. And I think that was a lot of the conditioning of just growing up in the '80s and '90s, especially in Ohio, and I think in the Midwest in general. Not everyone had this, but I think where I grew up, I wasn't allowed to put my arm around a buddy of mine. You know, when we hang out, it's like we hug each other. I pick you up. It's like we put our okay, arm around. Jump on
1: you! I know you jump <laughs> on, on me. I'm like ah, oh, I
0: love this. And but that wasn't acceptable as a kid growing up for me. Like I wanted to put my arm around people and like hug my friends, but. In school, they would push me off and call me names. Don't be a little girl. Don't be gay. Don't be this. Don't be that. Like, it wasn't cool to be affectionate, even in a non-sexual friendship way. And so when I saw that, I was, I was 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, that other boys didn't accept me for putting my arm around them as a friend. I was like, if they actually knew about me, what I've gone through— they would disown, they would ne- reject me from society. It was kind of the story I told myself. And I also just didn't have examples of, I was in sports and I never saw athletes opening up about sexual abuse. I just never, ever saw it. I never saw them opening up about mental health issues, What there, which was what's happening now, more doing that. But as a kid, I never saw that model. And so I just said, okay, I got to act like this didn't happen. I got to be as tough as I can so no one can hurt me again. I have to be as big and strong as possible to make sure that no one ever abuses me again. And that was kind of the, the story of my life for 25 years. My brother then went to prison when I was eight until I was 12. He, he got caught up in the war on drugs in America in the, in the 90s for selling drugs to an undercover cop. So in a small town there wasn't a lot of people in the neighborhood whose kids went to prison that I knew of, he was the only one. And on my block, everyone knew that my brother was in prison. So that meant the other parents wouldn't let their kids hang out with me for four and a half years, essentially. So now I have this time where I'm not hanging out with people, I'm essentially trying, I remember one time I, I had to spend money to hang out with a couple of kids who had a club in their basement, they had like this little private club. And I had to either answer a couple of questions that they asked me. And if I got it right, I could be in the friend club, or I had to give them money. And they asked me a couple of questions, which I still don't know the answers to today. And I remember feeling like, okay, I'm so dumb, that because I'm not smart, people don't want to hang out with me. And I went home and begged my mom for money, she put it in a little shoebox, all the change she had. To give them so I could hang out with them. And I remember after that day, spending that time with them, I was like, I felt really low. I felt really sad and depressed. I was like, man, I'm just like a nothing. Like, no one cares about me. If I have to pay money to have friends, how horrible of a human being am I? And I think those moments, like, really shaped me. And I said, I'd rather be, like, isolated and alone than being around people that don't care if I'm, like, you know, that I'm so dumb they don't want to hang out with me or if I can't provide them with money. I was like, I'd rather be alone so I spent a lot of time alone observing people and dealing with my own insecurities for pretty much throughout my teens. And I really look at my life in four phases, like preteen, teen to 22, my 20s, and then 30 to now, which is 37. It's been kind of like four phases, which has been very confusing up to the last seven years. And it wasn't until I finally opened up about sexual trauma and sharing it out loud first with a small group of people then with my family and friends then to my platform and to the world it's still the most downloaded thing i've ever shared out on my podcast you know it's it's still something i get every week from people where they're sharing in about how they're opening up for the first time because i didn't have a model growing up and i felt like once i started to share my shame about sexual trauma It no longer had power over me. It took some time to heal, but it no longer became a thing that crippled me and made me insecure. It's kind of like, you know, an eight mile where he's like, this happened to me and they cheated on my girl and this and I shot myself and whatever. It's like once I started to share a lot of vulnerable things that I didn't want anyone to know about me, then I learned who my real family, who my real friends were, and I could start to fall in love with myself more. And I don't think I ever loved myself fully. I loved the mask that I wore. I loved like that I'm a jock, that I'm an athlete, that I'm successful in business. But I didn't love the inside. And I think it's a hard life to live if we don't learn how to love ourselves. Mm. So that's been been the journey. And, you know, I was also in the special needs classes. I almost flunked out of English senior year. So it's just a challenging. I just never remember really happy times growing up because I never learned how to love myself. You have great videos that say, you know, they teach us how to memorize things in school, but they don't teach us how to deal with failure. They don't teach us how to deal with a broken heart. You know, those are the things that I struggle with the most. Like, I was always failing in school. I No girls liked me. You know, I was always heartbroken, all this stuff. And I didn't know how to lose gracefully because my whole identity was tied around winning and gaining acceptance from people when I won in sports or when I broke a record. It was like people acknowledged me, and they saw me for the first time because I had a talent, whereas I never felt seen as a kid. You know, my parents saw me, and they were there for me, but I, the story I said is people don't care about me, even when they did. And I, and I think I just never learned the skill of loving myself until seven years ago, really, the process. And if people could fully love themselves and be proud of themselves, there'd just be a lot less mental and emotional suffering. So that's been kind of the journey in a nutshell.
1: I mean, that's phenomenal, man. Like it's, you know, when when I know you as you now, over the last three years, you have one of the most kindest hearts I know. Mm -hmm. You're one of the most open and loving people I know. You're without a doubt one of the most generous people I know. And, and to me, it's like, I can't ever imagine you not being those things Yeah, because you do it so effortlessly in one mm-hmm. sense. It can appear that way.
0: So if I would have met you 10 years ago, I probably wouldn't even recognize you, right? <laughs> it's like, yeah. you're a completely different person, but I didn't see that life. I've yeah. seen only the last three years of you being like this incredible source of wisdom for the world that's gone viral and a, a great heart. And a thoughtful mind, but I think um, a lot of us go through these challenges. Yeah, you know, and we're we're in the public, so we're talking a lot about our our life, and so it's it can be very scary if we haven't accepted ourselves to then say this is who I am. I know Michelle Obama talked about mild depression. I think it was a couple of days ago or recently, based on when this podcast comes out, where she's like, "I'm struggling," and she shared it publicly for the first time, which I think is. Really courageous. But when people are in the public eye, it's almost like we're forced to tear down our our masks and our walls. Otherwise, we're being inauthentic to ourselves if we're only putting out this perfect image. And for years, I put out a perfect image or this ideal of like who I wanted to be in the world. And I was afraid of what if people really saw who I was, they would never accept me. Kind of like when I was a kid. If they truly knew what happened, I wouldn't have friends. And again, when I, and I realized like at 30, enough was enough. I was dealing with so much inner suffering. On the outside, everything looked great. Making great money, sold a business for seven figures. Uh, you know, had girls that were interested in me. I had cool stuff. I was playing sports. People were admiring what I was accomplishing on the outside, but I was never proud of who I was on the inside. And what i was afraid of i had such deep insecurity that if anyone knew who i was no one would ever love me and i think once i got to a place of fully accepting myself starting a healing journey and sharing it with people and realizing i'm not dead like i'm not going to die here and people still love me and people still care about me even more they like me because i'm being more real It creates a deeper connection. And that's when I started to realize like, oh, there's this thing called vulnerability that is actually probably the biggest superpower in the world that most people don't use. And that's kind of all I've just done. It's just been more and more open, more and more real. And it's still hard. You know, it's like it's still hard to do sometimes, but I feel like it's the only way. Mm. And there are certain things that I'm not saying you should just publicly talk about everything of your fears and your insecurities I think is a time and place for everything. I just felt like a responsibility seven years ago to open up about these things because I didn't see another model. I didn't see another, you know, jock white man opening up about stuff. And now when I see guys like Kevin Love talking about uh, having mental breakdowns on the court and actually writing articles and speaking, being an advocate for this, I'm like, great. Now there's more athletes that look like him who might feel comfortable opening up at 10, at 12, at 14. I saw a young nba player um i'm forgetting his name recently like shaved his head on instagram and said he's doing this and he feels free because he was sexually abused over and over as a kid i think he's a rookie nba basketball player and i'm like this is amazing that someone is posting this on instagram who has a platform because he's starting to heal and maybe they are he's a he's a young black guy i'm like maybe there's other young black men who would never open up about this and now they have the permission to to share and i think that's incredible so i felt like a responsibility to to start opening up publicly about these things and i think you do such a great job on your videos of like addressing all these scary things that are hard for us depression mental illness cheating relationship breakups divorce like all these things that people are scared to go through you're addressing and i think that's what's helping heal the world
1: yeah man when you when i hear you say every example that you're sharing right now it's almost like you had to choose to do the hardest thing
0: the scariest thing is like the way you know whereas ryan holiday says the obstacle is the way like your greatest fears is the way this is something i've been doing as a kid since my teens of realizing okay what are my fears because these are holding me back from being the greatest version of myself so every year i would create a list of my biggest fears I remember when I was a teenager, it was girls. I think every teenage boy is afraid of talking to girls, getting (laughs) rejected by girls, like all that stuff. It's very scary. And for me, I remember it was like, I don't have confidence around girls. I don't know what to say. I'm a stutterer. I don't have anything funny. Like I just (laughs) stumble over my words. And I said to myself, okay, the summer when I was 16, I said, every day when I see a girl that I'm interested in or is attracted to, I'm going to run, not in a creepy way up to them, but I'm going to run towards them and start a conversation. When it gives me little butterflies, like I don't care if I'm at the pool or the gym or the walking down the street, I have to go up to them. It was a challenge. I love it. For 90 days to do this.
1: You should have videoed it.
0: <laughs> I should have, I wish. And for 90 days I did this. And I tell you what, the first couple of weeks I was just humiliated. It was the worst feeling in the world because you're. I faced my greatest fear, rejection, humiliation, uh, not being enough. They don't like me, whatever it is. And by the end of the summer, I kid you not, I must have had, I don't know, 50 phone numbers and just lots of fun. You know, I'm not acting on any of these things. I'm just like having fun and overcoming a fear. And I think if human beings were able to create more contained challenges for themselves to overcome their inner insecurities, that's the greatest game you can play. Like I used to play a lot of physical sports, but this is the greatest inner sport that you can play is writing a list of your biggest fears and then giving yourself parameters and a, a time frame. So I did this with girls and I was like, oh, it worked. I feel confident I can say hi to people without being afraid. Then when I was 23, I did it with public speaking. I could not stand up in front of three people and say anything without sweating, without trembling. It was that crippling. And I know public speaking is a big fear for a lot of people. And I met someone who was a professional public speaker. And I said, tell me what I need to do to overcome this fear. He said, you need to join Toastmasters. You need to go every single week until you're not afraid. So I gave myself a year. I said, I'm going to do this every single week. I would film my speeches. It was horrible. But I every week, I would get better. And at the end of the year, I remember being able to speak in front of this group of 15, 20 people in the club and speak without notes, you know, remember my speech, give it with poise, give it with everything I needed to do. And I was like, wow, I'm not afraid anymore. And I've done that with salsa dancing. You know, for salsa dancing, I spent 90 days all in on salsa dancing. and I was terrified that I could not dance, but I did the same challenge for myself. And I constantly do that. You know, I did this with opening up about sexual abuse. I was like, I'm terrified for 25 years. No one knows this except for me. And I never thought I would tell anyone but I knew I was cheating myself by not at least processing the healing because it was something inside that was holding me back. And every year, luckily I'm faced with challenges every year that force me to address my fears, force me to level up, to own my mistakes, to take accountability and responsibility and and improve. And I think that's a beautiful thing of life is like, I never wanna be not afraid of something because then I'm done. Mm So I always want to have something where I'm like, uh, right now it's Spanish. I have been wanting to practice, to learn Spanish for 20 years.
1: Now you have to. Now I've got a, <laughs> now I've
0: got a Mexican girlfriend. And even the first year of our relationship, I said, okay, I'm going to do this. But I put it off. Like I keep making excuses because every time I jump into a new app, Uh, a new class, whatever it is, I get my brain hurts so much from learning something that's challenging. This is why I didn't do well in school because I was just like, I can't do this. I I give up. Let me go play a sport. And I was just like, this is going to suck for a couple of years. It's not going to be easy, but I'm going to be so much more proud of myself from accomplishing it in a few years. And what I'm going to learn about myself in the process is going to be greater than actually being fluent. But I just keep thinking back to like, if I died today, Would I regret not going after this fear? Would I regret that I didn't share this with my girlfriend, my husband, my wife, my kids, that I didn't go back to school, that I didn't write the book, launch the podcast, whatever it is, would I regret it? And for me, I just never want to regret. So I'm like, okay, I've now found a process. I've hired someone to do three days a week. I'm fitting it in my calendar. This is a priority every day. And it sucks right now because I feel like I'm not learning any, I'm, <laughs> I can't speak still, but it's like, it's going to take years. And I just need to trust the process and appreciate all the little wins. Mm. And do will try to be fluent right away. Just be like, okay, I know a couple more words today. And that's what I think. If people could do that, their life would be that much more magical if you wrote down your biggest fears and you started tackling them every year.
1: Lewis, you're in flow, man. This is amazing stuff. Become the Batman. This, this is- a- <laughs> Become Batman. This is amazing stuff. Like I want everyone who's listening and watching right now to do what Lewis is saying right now. I literally want you to get out a piece of pen and paper. If you're not, then take a screenshot of where we are right now. Come back to this later on. And do this because what he's saying is so powerful. Like literally, it's so profound. Like I love the fact that you've just consistently challenged and challenged and challenged. And it just starts with writing down your fears and finding one thing you can do for 30 days, 60 days, 90 days, whatever it is for you. And just doing that one thing every day. And it's doing, it's acting. It's not just thinking about it. And so yeah, those are- Your next book is going to be Act Like a Monk. <laughs> and it's going to
0: be The actions You Need to Take. But no. uh, what would you say is your, over the last three years, yeah. what were the biggest fears you had that you had to conquer? Or, and what's the biggest fear you have right now that you haven't conquered yet?
1: I think that the first thing that came to mind was after my first video went viral. Yeah. So- we had a million views. So yeah, the first one got a, got a million views in like seven days. The yep. second one got like- a million views in 24 hours. And then ended up getting like a total of 160 million views across pages. This is when the HuffPost was sharing it. Yeah. It's 2017, 2016, 2016, mid 2016. Mm-hmm. And my first fear became, I don't want to make any more videos. What? Because I was scared that they wouldn't do as well. Oh my gosh. And this is the crazy thing of the fear of, see, when you, when you're starting, your fear is a failure. And then when you kind of have a breakthrough, your fear becomes of success.
0: It is. I mean, it's like, who said this? Uh, I think Liz Gilbert says something like, well, I'm never going to be as successful as my last book that sold like 10 million copies at E, Pray, Love. And it's like, how do you live life knowing that you may never, hopefully you keep creating stuff, but but that didn't happen with you. You've been making videos that have got
1: 300 million views and beyond, right? Yeah, so that was the first fear I had to overcome was yeah. like the the fear before that was, well, who's going to care? Yeah. So that was the biggest fear before starting, but you talked a lot about that. So yeah. I we're about the opposite end of the fear of you've had your little breakthrough, you've got a little taste or a glimpse of people now caring. And now you're like, well, what if they don't care the next time?
0: So did or that, if- did that uh, cripple you from wanting to create more or less or? I, I made
1: less. I, I think at that time I was making one video per month
0: because I was so scared. So when I met you at NASDAQ, were
1: you still only doing one a month? At that time, I had just started getting more one every involved. two weeks. Yeah, or probably. Yeah. It wasn't and I was when I met it.
0: you and when I after that, I was like, you need to be doing three a week. Yeah, yeah. I was like, you need to go hard, like all in on this. Yeah. Cause you were like, Yeah, maybe I'll start a podcast and write a book. Then I go, wait, and go all in on video yeah. right now, tunnel vision on just how can I this was your gift. I think people get distracted too early where it's like, okay, this is my gift that's working and let me do this, this, and this, because it's cool. But you went all in and you, you freaking crushed. Yeah.
1: So that was, that was one of the fears. Uh, yeah. the, the other fear was, you know, in, when we were in New York, and we've talked about this before, me and Radhi had moved there six months ago. Yeah. I decided that I had to venture out into creating my own thing and I was four months away from being broke. We had four months left to play rent and no way, groceries. Man. That's it. That's literally what we had left.
0: And you were like, okay, I'm going to go leave HuffPo or be part-time and then go create more, which takes money, time, and energy.
1: Yeah. And and I realized that I had to make that journey to start building and creating because I wanted to create stuff that I really wanted to create and put out. Wow. But at the same time, that came with the risk of, hey, we just got married a year ago. We moved here six months ago. I know no one in New York. No one really knows me. And now I'm trying to create something from scratch in a city where I full of unknowns. Right. <laughs> so that fear came out. The, the only solution to that fear was literally, I woke up the next day and I emailed, just like you did kind of with the, with the girls at that time, but I emailed every person a bunch of girls no no (laughs) can you imagine i emailed every person i'd ever had any interaction with that may need a video and i said i will edit your videos i will shoot your videos i will create videos for you and so i just started creating full on hustle scrappy mode literally just to survive yeah
0: just to survive what happened when after like a week of sending those out what happened
1: I was getting a few people emailing back and I realized that it was all a game of odds that I got back as much as I put in. So if I sent a hundred emails, I got 10 responses. If I sent a thousand emails, I was getting a hundred responses. And I was literally trying to find any way through to like seeing people who'd retweeted me on Twitter and reaching out to them and Smart. like just it's any- DM, hey, do you need some video work? I totally, can help you. Like just looking at someone's job title yeah, and yeah. LinkedIn and going like, who's this person? Because I wanted to build something for myself but I wasn't sure that people were going to allow me to create what I wanted to create straight away.
0: And also there wasn't like a monetization plan three years ago on Facebook no. or I guess maybe YouTube, but it wasn't like a way to make money with your content. You were just, I'm impacting the world and that's why maybe I'll do a book and this and that to
1: make some money, but you couldn't monetize really then. No, and 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 it monetization has never been my goal. Like in the beginning, the goal was simply to make an impact. And then I realized that without money, You can't scale the impact. It's true. And that was the clear decision that I had to rewire my relationship with money. Mm. I had to rewire my relationship. So was that a big
0: fear? That was a big fear. We've talked about this a bunch before, but why was money a big fear for you?
1: Well, I think I grew up in a family where we always had just enough. So the language around money was, we have just enough. We have just enough. We have just enough. And almost there was, not necessarily through my parents, but there was a negative kind of narrative that I grew up with that to be rich or wealthy, you had to backstab, lie, cheat, steal, or do something dodgy, or not be there for your family, or you know, correct sacrifice time. Totally, like it couldn't be done in a healthy way. Mm. You couldn't become wealthy in a healthy way, right? right, right. Like that was kind. What of- was
0: the switch for you then when you realized, oh no, like money is a good thing to make more of an impact, and I actually need to focus on this or add, you know, overcome this fear. Well,
1: I think being in a place where you're four months away from being broke. (laughs) You're like, I didn't make some money. You you realize that fear doesn't help you be creative. Mm. So your creativity actually shrinks when you're under immense pressure and fear. Yeah. Because creativity, of course, creativity also comes from pain, but creativity also needs abundance to to really flourish. That's true. You have a great part
0: in your, you have a great, chapter or section in your book that says follow the pain in your heart Mm -hmm. and it sounds like you had a pain in your heart like i gotta pay for rent and i've got this creative endeavor that i really want to take on and so you went all in on that
1: yeah exactly the fear now that i think that i'm i'm really i theoretically understand but i'm still working on you haven't done that i haven't done yet is i wish i could talk to every person that followed me on social and share my heart with them. Like I wish, oh, wow. my fear is that people don't understand my heart. Mm. And theoretically, I know that no one will ever fully understand me. And so I have to be able to let go of that. But I think it's hard, like you said, when you're living a public life and you want to be able to share your truth with people and you want everyone to understand you. Like for example, if me and you were talking, we can give each other time of day to understand each other. Yes. Context, conversation, back and forth. Yeah, depth and like reflection. But when you have, even if you have a video or you have a podcast, speaking to someone one-on-one is a totally different experience. That's why podcasts work. Because even though we know other people are going to hear this, really it's a conversation between us.
0: What is the thing that you really wish people understood about you, about your heart? If you had yeah. 60 seconds to two minutes to share that direct yeah. to your audience, yeah. what would you say That's I'd you say, really want them to hear?
1: Yeah, I'd say that I'd want people to know that my intention has always been to serve. It always will be. That's the place I come from. And that I try my best every single day to do what I love in a way that can help other people grow. Yeah, And that, I am not perfect. Uh I I'm I don't have it all figured out, but I'm learning along the way and I'm sharing what I've learned. Yeah. And that to me is, you know, that to me is probably in 62nd version. Sure, sure. What would you say yours is? What would you say Well, I think it's a lot of pressure for
0: especially since you're a monk, you probably have more pressure because people assume that like you're supposed to be this perfect spiritual, I don't know, I'm just making an assumption, but that might be part of the pressure. And I think people need to understand that we're all human beings just trying to, like, figure it out. Yeah. And and I know your heart, and I know what you've been through, and I know the challenges and things you've overcome. And I think it's, it's unfortunate that anyone with any size of an audience has a pressure to be perfect with everything in their life. Mm-hmm. And there's so much happening in the world right now where they're just canceling everyone, where it seems like it's exhausting. Mm-hmm. Like, you have to be perfect. And that's why people are more afraid than ever to be vulnerable, mm-hmm. because it's just another thing to knock people down.
1: Yeah. Well, that's what I was going to ask you. Has there ever been a time <clears throat> where you felt you were vulnerable and open where actually you found people took advantage of it or distanced themselves from you? Or have you always found that vulnerability mm. has acted in this superpower? And there's no right or wrong answer. I really want to know. Like, Have you always found that vulnerability? And then, and then what is that vulnerability, if that's the case? How was it done artfully? Um,
0: the first thing that's coming up is I was really worried. I didn't think people would receive me for opening up about sexual trauma. I didn't think they would I thought they would like say nasty things or whatever distance themselves, but it was like the complete opposite where that vulnerability really and again, I wasn't doing it for some type of marketing strategy. I was just like, I need to get this off my chest and I wanted to share it um gosh, I'm trying to think of like being vulnerable of a time where it didn't work. I feel like it always works out mm. I think uh You know, a year and a half ago, I was going through a breakup, and that was a very vulnerable time for me because I had people that didn't have the full context and weren't actually reaching out to me to ask me questions. They were just making assumptions. And that was more of a painful challenge to go through of realizing, oh, here's who my real friends are, and here's who people who have just like always taken for years. But when I'm going through something where they don't really know what's going on, they make assumptions and they don't become vulnerable with me. So that was like a a moment where I was like, man, that kind of sucks that, you know, but it was also great in the fact that I learned who my friends were. Yeah. And so it was like, I got to purge a lot of people and you were really instrumental in helping me like, you know, people are going to come and go. You can't hold on to relationships and you don't want to hold on to a relationship if they're single-sided or if they're judgmental or if they're Whatever, righteous about something without actually taking the time to be thoughtful, ask questions, listen with an open heart and hear what's actually really going on. Mm-hmm. And I think that was a that was a time where I was like, it's hard in a moment when you're in it. But I kept saying to myself, I'm going to have hindsight now. Hindsight now. Hindsight now. But the end of this year, it's New Year's Eve. Like, I'm going to be in a completely different place, and this is all going to be happening. That's powerful. It's all going to be happening and serving me in a much greater way that's going to set me up for something that I would never have been able to do in the future. And I feel like the adversity that we go through sets us up for incredible things, but it's so hard to see it and go through it in that moment. But by the end of that year, I was with a woman, the woman of my dreams. I was purged relationships that were takers of me for years just wanting me to promote them and help them and make introductions who were only single-sided i purged these judgmental people out of my life i developed deeper relationships with the people i had who were there for me you being one of them and i freed myself of the need to please other people yeah and that was a that was another fear of mine which is like I want everyone to like me. Mm -hmm. I want everyone to understand me, kind of like you. It's like, ah, but if they actually knew what was really happening, they would know what's going on in my heart and all these things. But, And so when I freed myself of that, it was like, I'm I'm in the healthiest relationship I've ever been in. And I'll tell you why. She's the woman of my dreams. Yet, if we broke up tomorrow, I'd be okay. Because I'm such at peace knowing that, this is happening for me and she's in my life for a reason right now and hopefully it lasts a long time but if it doesn't for whatever reason we weren't supposed to force it and it's setting me up for something that i learned to to use in the next relationship or the next part of my life and i've never been in a, i'm getting chills right now cuz i've never been in a relationship where i've been able to say like i'd be okay mm. if it didn't work out mm. And that's why I stayed in relationships too long, because I was too afraid to let it go and feel alone and feel insecure. And I'm just like, if she broke up with me or if we decided it wasn't the right fit, I'd be at peace because I'm not attached. This is something you taught me is about really being unattached to the outcome, like being unattached to whatever it looks like. And knowing that if I keep focusing on my heart, if I keep focusing on giving, if I keep focusing on growing, if I keep focusing on loving people and loving myself, then I'm going to reject and attract the right things in my life, whether it be my relationships intimately, business partnerships, friends. You're going to repel people that don't want to be in that energy, and you're going to be a magnet to beautiful things. Mm -hmm. And that's why, like, in the first time in my life, in my mind, I'm like, my mind is calm and my heart is at peace because I'm not attached to something needing to look a certain
1: way. It feels beautiful. What a beautiful place to be, I be man. I'd be sad. Listen, I don't want to end
0: the relationship. I'd be it. sad. I'd be like, okay, I'm sure there'd be some grieving, but I just like I feel like I've been through so many hard things mm. in my life emotionally, internally, that I'm like, I'm fine. I'm yeah. okay. I'm alive. Yeah. I'm here. And it's actually, it's almost like that thing that didn't work out pushed me up higher to the next greater thing yeah and that relationship taught me this lesson that's allowed me to do this thing and this person is getting me to actually learn spanish which has been something i want to do for 20 years and this person got me to open my heart and talk about sexual abuse and it's like it's all helping me and serve me mm. to then serve and give more energy to the world And I think that's what people need to look at is like the challenge that I'm facing right now, the adversity you're facing, whether it be COVID, a relationship, you lost your job, like you need to look at this as the greatest gift of your life because it is. If you look at it as the greatest adversity, then you'll stay in that space for much longer until you realize this is a beautiful gift and it's serving me. Where do I find the lesson and how can I lean into the lesson and grow from there?
1: That is beautiful, man. Well said. Like that is you know, truly just—you're you know? like, speaking to our hearts right now. Like that is such a beautiful place to live. Yeah. It sounds like, yeah, because it is a complete relationship with yourself. Gosh, man. first, if, which if, is what you started with. I, I think uh, the most
0: interesting relationship we have is the relationship we have with ourself, or source, or God, or higher, or our power. But I think the the self image we have. Like, I remember looking in the mirror as a kid and not loving myself. And if if you can look in the mirror without narcissism, but actually like pure love for all that you've had to overcome, all that you've been through, all you've accomplished, your way of being, how you've been kind to human beings and kind to yourself. And if you can fully look in the mirror and say, I love you, and I'm grateful for you, and I'm proud of you, those are three of the most incredible things that a person could say, because most people can't say those things today. I bet if you're listening or watching this right now, that there's a lot of people that can't look themselves in the mirror, take their clothes off down to their underwear and say, I love you. I'm proud of you. And you matter. Mm-hmm. Right? Those three things are probably things that it's hard. Maybe you love some things, but you don't love everything. Mm. And I, there's a lot I want to work on. I'm not perfect. I, there's a lot of flaws, but it's like at the end of the day, I ask myself, did I show up and do the best I could like you? Did I give to the best that I could? And am I following my mission, my purpose? You know, Mm -hmm. And think like a monk, you give a clear outline of how to discover and follow your purpose. Mm -hmm. Without a purpose, we are really feeling lost. Mm -hmm. And we're gonna feel like we're never enough because we're chasing a bunch of things that aren't the mission. So that's why I I keep going back to your book because I think it's really like the, the handbook for living a great life for people. That if, you know, I got an early copy, so I feel blessed <laughs> to be able to like, learn this stuff now and apply it to my life. But, you know, it wasn't until a few years ago when I really was able to look at myself in the mirror and say, like, I'm proud of you mm. and I love you and you matter. And I think that's sad, but also exciting at the same time, because I think if people can learn that quicker, they're just going to have much more peace in their heart. And that's what we all need.
1: Lewis has, man. This is literally everything you're saying today is just like, it's hitting the heart. Yeah. Like I'm hearing you speak today Uh and we speak often. So I'm, I'm used to having conversations with you. we always have like three, four hour conversations, whether we're walking or sitting, but everything you're saying today is like going straight to the heart. Mm. Like it's just decluttering for me. Yeah. And so I'm hoping that everyone who's listening or watching right now, you're listening to Lewis going, I need more of this guy in my life because he's (laughs) so clear, so crystal clear. Yeah. And, and I can tell that it's because you've done the work over the last few years. Like this isn't just, see, saying those things that not you- Not just theory. Yeah, it's not, just it's not theory it and it's also not just reading the lines, right? You're not just saying that to yourself in the mirror mm-hmm. to say it to yourself. Yeah. You're doing the internal work to be able to say that to yourself in a genuine, authentic way. Yeah. With the understanding still that you want to grow,
0: yeah. And listen, I'm not in front of the mirror every day saying these things to myself. You're not like no, I'm not like underwear. I'm not like in my underwear, but I, <laughs> but I've done it before, yeah. and I think you need to ask. It could be a reflective question. Could I stand in front of the mirror yeah. and look at myself? And every day, I I think about something every day that is you know I don't meditate every day, although I try to. You know, I wish I was as disciplined as you, two hours in the morning. But I I do about a 15 minute meditation almost right. daily, um, called the Soul Sync. That's really worked for me. But every day it might just be a few minutes. But every day I think about the greatest version of myself. What is like the greatest version of Lewis Howes look like? And if he was from a distance walking towards me, if I could soak that in for 10 seconds, the way he walked, his posture, his energy, his aura, his love. What would I be feeling? What would I be experiencing? I try to imagine myself, the greatest perfect version of myself walking towards me and then staring me straight in the eyes. And I try to imagine what are the things that I'm not doing that are not getting me closer to that right now? How can I eliminate those things? What are the things I am doing that's going to get me closer? How can I do more of those things? And I'm a big visual guy. So for me, visualization allows me to paint a picture in my mind and then and hopefully apply it in the real world by taking action. Um, but I try to, that's my meditation. It's like, what's what's holding me back? What's missing? And what does that greatest version of me have when he walks close to me? And I think if we look at our lives like that, where we start to imagine what could I do? Not that I'm ever gonna reach that, but what could I be doing better? And am I closer every single day to that great image of myself that I wanna be? The thing that makes me proud, that things me feel like. I matter and that I love myself, and I think mm-hmm. um it's a it's a powerful uh, technique that I use daily to to help me get there,
1: dude, that's so powerful it's fun that's so powerful it's fun because visualize it. most of us are visual <clears throat> thinkers, or at least the ones of us that are, and all of us love visuals, whether it's movies yes. or music videos or and you're so right that when you start to see it clearly in your mind, and you've always talked about this. I've heard yes. you talk about this on Ellen, I've heard you talk about this. Uh, on multiple interviews, where you always talk about, like it starts with the dream. Yes, but it's like the dream is something you have to see first. Yep. Right, and that is what a dream is. When you go to sleep and you dream, it means you saw something, yes. and and that's where it starts. And and I want to start here by talking about something that you've got that started as a dream, that mm-hmm. started as a visual in your mind, that now is about to reach its one thousandth episode. Yeah. Which is your podcast, The School of Greatness, which is what crazy, the man. first book was. <clears throat> Based on, for those of you who haven't read it, this is uh, Lewis's first ever book. New York Times bestselling author of this book, The School of Greatness. But you're on your thousandth episode. Crazy man. Yeah, I wanted. You know, I remember
0: as I started to go through my healing process seven and a half, eight years ago, I had an idea. I was like, I just want to interview great minds, and because I'm learning from so many great people, I was a great networker, and I would get a seat at the table, and I would get a one-on-one call with them. I was like, man, I just wish everyone could hear the information that they're sharing. And I always thought I was asking the dumbest questions when I would talk to them, like the most basic dumb questions. But for whatever reason, they were like so grateful that I asked them. And I was like, God, but I just feel like no, everyone would make fun of me if I asked these questions. So I had, you know, I was like, I feel like I'm doing a disservice by getting all this knowledge and not sharing it with other people. My dumb questions, right? And um, I was like, I just want to launch a show. This was way before podcast was popular. 2012, I had the idea. And I was like, I want to launch this show. I want to do it once a week. And I had one episode with one listener to start. And now we're 250 million downloads, 1,000 episodes in. And I didn't know what would would happen from the dream. It was just like, I just want to create this thing and start it. And I want to do it for a year. It was an experiment, just like everything else. Because I wasn't a polished interviewer. I didn't have radio skills. I wasn't like an on-camera host. I was none of that. But I was like, this is an experiment to overcome fears, to put myself out there and allow people to hear me ask dumb questions. And hopefully, based on me learning, they can learn. And I think a lot of people that have a dream of doing something they're they're just wrapped up in so much fear that if you could just get it started and be consistent you'll see so many beautiful things that come from it. I never knew I would launch a book from the podcast or the second book or a, a live event or coaching or court, like I didn't they all stem from people saying, "We want more. Can you create something else?" Yes. Same thing with you. You yes. probably never oh, knew yeah. when I I'm going to do these videos once a month and imp- inspire people. You never knew that you would have this book that is going to be a number 1 new york times bestseller, international phenomenon. I'm calling it now before <laughs> it comes out. You didn't know you'd have a podcast that's now one of the top 50 in the world on iTunes. You didn't know these things would come come from it, but you had a dream of like I just want to create videos and inspire people. And because you leaned into your your talent, your skill set of being like a great learner from your your education years to monk life to then being a great teacher and your love for movies and creativity and putting it into your creation in a unique and different way, you had the trifecta, the perfect storm that allowed you to share your gift with the world. And it worked. And so you kept leaning into it. And then because of that impact, okay, you're gonna have this book, the podcast, TV shows, movies, like whatever you wanna do is gonna happen. But if you never overcame the fear of putting out that first video and then the fear of success of doing it consistently You wouldn't have the rest of this.
1: I think about that all the time. I consistently think about what my life would be if I listened to the rejections and the failures and didn't put that first video out. And I wonder how you would feel. And by the way, anyone who's listening or watching right now, you can tell that Lewis is a really good interviewer because he keeps making it about the other person. (laughs) And that shows you why he's such a brilliant interviewer. Like, it's like, why are we talking about me again? Why why do we keep talking about me? Uh, And I'm not trying to make it about me at all, but this is Lewis. This is why he's such a great interviewer. And when I, you know, me and Lewis, we've interviewed a couple of people together or been at tables where Lewis is asking questions. I actually believe that you ask the best questions. Like when Uh, you ask a question... It, it's often a question I've never even thought of, mm. and I definitely don't think it's stupid. But but there's a depth to the way you answer because you really want to hear the, mm. you really want to learn. Yeah, and and you have that. And I remember my my one of my monk teachers teaching me that. He said that if you ever feel you gave a good class, or if you ever failed that you feel that you gave a good sermon or a lecture, mm. he said you should always remember that it, it is because of the sincerity and eagerness of the audience. And he said that if you felt that you delivered, it's because that audience was so receptive
0: to hear. It's like we've both been at conferences where we've spoken, where the audiences were not engaged. And you might've been like, I'm up here dancing like a monkey, freaking sweating, jumping around, <laughs> telling the best stories ever. And it feels like cricket still. And, <laughs> and everyone's on their phone and you're like, but when you go into a, a room... Uh, where it's just like they're just sitting on the edge of the seat because they're just excited to hear you whatever reason the context was set up you're just like you can say whatever they laugh in a yeah. moment it's probably like a comedian where it's like you know you go into a comedy club yeah and if they're not receptive you got to work yeah it doesn't matter if you do your best stuff it's about the audience but
1: you're job. that guy you're you're that receptive audience yeah. always I love to learn from everyone you have a, a, I think yeah. you
0: have a chapter in your book on how to learn from everyone yeah. <laughs> and it's I've been I as the this is one of my, I guess, as I reflect back, like every adversity is for us if we find a lesson in it. Mm. I just felt like, why am I so stupid? Mm. Like every year in class, I never got bo- above the bottom four in our, in our grade cards. So they used to rank us. I don't know if they did this in London, but they used to rank our grade oh, yeah. cards. And I never dropped or never got past the bottom four. Ever, <laughs> ever from what I, my memory. And I remember just, it was just a confirmation of how stupid I am. It was just like, well, you suck. It doesn't matter how many tutors, how many special needs classes you're in, you're never going to be smart. It was like the story. But I was like, ah, oh, but I feel like if I observe people differently, and if I learn to connect with people in a different way, and if I ask different questions, and I just observe human behavior people will still want to connect with me, not based on how smart I am or my grade card, but because I just care. Mm. And I remember hearing the quote, it was from Roosevelt. That was, people don't care how much, you know, until they know how much you care. And I heard that as a teenager. And I was like, I have a chance like in this life because I'm never going to know as much as anyone else. I'm always going to be the dumbest person in every room. And in fact, I try to be. And yet It's not a competition of who's smarter, who's not, and it's not a competition of who cares more or not, but just showing that you do care is always going to be to your advantage.
1: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely, man. Absolutely. But I want to do a quick activity with you with the thousand podcasts. Okay. I'm nowhere near, so I can't imagine. What what are you on right now? I think we're on like, what, we nearly reached one and a half years. So, and we do two a week. Yes. Yeah, so, so 150, is yeah, that right? Exactly, yes. Yeah, so 170? Yeah. Like okay. Like a little like tenth or a fifth of what you've done. Yeah. So when you look at a thousand episodes, and I really do want to focus on this because you know you wrote a whole yeah. book about the podcast with, with interviews. Yeah. I, I want to focus in on a few. And, and I know it's not going to be an easy exercise because you know what's coming. But but the reason why I'm going to ask these questions is because I want to hear how much these are not just questions for you. They're really like you're in your own classroom. Yeah. Like, you know, you, we're in Lewis's classroom, sure. which is the School of Greatness, yep. which is what's so beautiful about the name, because it's almost the school you didn't have, the school I didn't have, and the school no one has. School I wish I had. Exactly. And so you've created that. So let's start with, who do you think in your podcast would have made a brilliant school teacher? Which guest would have made like the best school teacher that you would have? I mean, that's
0: pretty easy. I think you would have been the best because (laughs) you were a teacher and you struck. I'm not just saying this because you're here. You're probably the first one I would have thought of, even if you didn't say that. But because you just know how to structure challenging things into easy concepts. And for me, that's what I'm always trying to bridge the gap from. This is a challenging idea, concept. I don't understand this. So let me find the expert who can make it simple, and then I can ask a question, dissect it, and say, okay, so you're telling me that if we just do this, this, and this, we'll be happy, right? It's like, how can I solve these problems? And so I think you do such a brilliant job of showing it through visual and through quotes and through your own uh, experience to make it something we can see, feel, and experience mm-hmm. uh, as a teacher. So I think you're, you're one of the best. Right. I, let me think. I mean, Brene Brown, because she is a teacher. Yeah. She's a professor. She's a professor. Yeah. yeah. So I think she is great of, of that. Um, uh, this guy I just had on, Dr. Ivan Joseph, who's a sports psychologist, wow. professor. I think he's brilliant. So I've had a lot of professors yeah. from of Harvard <laughs> and stuff like that. But yeah. the non-teachers, I think you um, – yeah, Brene, but she's a teacher, so.
1: The next question is, who has taught you the most, and what is it, the most fascinating relationship lesson? So who have you had on that's really given you a relationship insight?
0: Uh, the first thing that comes to mind mm-hmm. is Rob Bell, mm-hmm. who is a, I don't know if you know who he is. He's like a spiritual pastor. I know who he is, but yeah. I've, never, I've never met him. I've had him on a few times, and I'm, every time he comes on, I feel like he speaks to my heart. He told me about relationships and marriage. I'm probably going to butcher it, but he was like, you create love in the space between when you guys are together. Mm. It's not when you're together where love is created. It's the space between when you're thinking about the person. And it it reminded me of a a quote by, I think it was Yo-Yo Ma, who said like, harmony is in between the notes. Mm. Like in music, it's like it's a but the harmony is made in between the notes, right? It's like, that's where the music is actually heard, in between the notes. And I think- when he said that, it connected me to that. I was like, yeah, it's interesting that love is like this the space you have apart. And that might be like 30 minutes or days, but it's the space in between. So that was really insightful. And I'm probably butchering it, but it was no, about, about that. No, that's beautiful, man. And um, I really remember when I had Matthew Hussey on. I've had him on a couple of times. He said, you know, the key to finding someone great someone you love like your soulmate the person you really want to be with is to write a list of all the things that you want in that person and then go become all those things
1: Mm.
0: so it's like in order to find the person of your dreams become the person of your dreams and you'll attract them yeah so i thought that was really cool of just like taking accountability for your own life Mm -hmm. and i and you see like all these Pro, people talking about like online dating, like the profiles people put on there are like, you need to be this. And you need, it's talking about <laughs> the other people, like what they're looking for and don't be this. But it's like, are you those things? Or are yeah. you just expecting someone else? Yeah. So always yeah. becoming a better version of yourself uh, in relationships.
1: I love that. These are already great ones. Like, I mean that, both of those are beautiful but that first one especially about how love is created when you're not together. Yeah, the
0: space between.
1: I mean that that's that's really like I'm going to have to take that and meditate on that. Well, my, that's like, yeah,
0: my girlfriend's in, you know, at home right now. She's not here. She's in Mexico. She's in Mexico right now and um you learn about like how deep is your love? Are you mm-hmm. getting distracted because they're not there? Are you paying more attention? You know, are you proud of yourself for the actions you take when they don't see you. Mm. So I'm I'm thinking of those things more and more. And I think it could be easy to be excited when you're together, but then when you have time apart, out of sight, out of mind, do you yeah. still care and think about that person? Do you yeah. still show up with details and attention and love and commitment and compassion? Cause it tests you when you have a lot of time apart. Yeah, And so it's a, yeah, it's a beautiful. Yeah.
1: Text. What, it, what it says to me also in agreement with everything you said is, is also like, I feel like real friends are people that even if you don't see them for some time, it could be years. It could be years. You just pick up where you left pick off yeah. because the relationship was so strong in the in-between. Mm-hmm. The space in between didn't affect it because yeah. you care about that person. You get their heart. And I have friends like that back in London that I know that even if we don't talk for months and right now I haven't been back to England for like seven, eight months. Pick right back up. But you can just pick it back up. And, I love that statement. I think there's so much truth in that. Okay, great. One more thing oh, on relationships. Yeah, on. Yeah, yeah, on. Unless you want to cut me off. Yeah. I just did an interview
0: with a guy named Stefan Speaks who mm, who shared a, his stuff. Yeah. who shared a concept that I believe you shared something very similar in one of our interviews. Where he said he said three things. I asked him about three things. I said chemistry, connection, compatibility. And you've talked about chemistry and compatibility before. and I think chemistry, but I said, can you be in a relationship? Can it work long-term where you're truly fulfilled um, without one of these things? And he said, yes, compatibility. You don't need compatibility to be fully like magnets. He's like, but you can't do it with just connection and compatibility alone. You need chemistry. Otherwise, it's a different type of relationship. It's mm-hmm. just like you need the chemistry because connection He was like, connection can be like you can get a group of people, a sports team together. They may not like each other, but you can teach them how to build connection, Mm. like to work together. They may not be compatible, but you can teach that and they can be successful. Mm. Uh, But in an intimate relationship, you need chemistry. You need to be drawn to each other. You can't just say, and this is why you hear all these people say, these girls say, gosh, he looked great on paper. Like he checked every box off my list. He was the perfect guy but there was just something missing that sparked that chemistry. Yeah. And it's you can make it work, but you're never gonna be truly like this is the person I wanna be with. Yeah. Because of chemistry. So that was interesting of, of his perspective on it, that you yeah. need chemistry and connection. You don't necessarily need compatibility because sometimes the opposites attract, and you can if you have chemistry, you'll sacrifice and go to the ballet if you don't want to. Yeah. You'll you'll watch a movie in Spanish because you, you love your partner. It's if you don't have chemistry. You're more resentful of trying to do more for that person,
1: interesting.
0: Because you don't have the chemistry, you're just like, okay, well, I have to do this, right? As opposed to, of course, I would love to do this because I love the, we have so much chemistry. So that was his perspective, which yeah. I thought it was interesting.
1: I love that. This is this is great, by the way. Okay, now the next one that I want to ask you is, who has given you the best money and finance masterclass <laughs> advice? <laughs> Um, and I know you've had some incredible, like yeah, um, like the meat and gosh, man. It's the first thing that came to mind is
0: Sarah Blakely mm. and Grant Cardone. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of them, but I, those are the that just popped in my mind. Sarah Blakely says something interesting to me. She said, "For years, I think it was seven years, she was working as a door to door fax machine." or copy machine salesperson where she would go to offices, knock on the door and say, I'm selling you this fax machine seven years. I think it was how long it was. She had an idea to do this legging thing for women called Spanx. And she said, the idea would have never happened without my dad asking me a question every day, uh, when I'd come home from school and at the dinner table, she she said, my dad would ask me, what did you fail at today? And she wouldn't really be celebrated unless she failed at something. (laughs) And her dad instilling that in her said, I would not have gone and kept failing at this idea. I would have kept my job and been door to door for probably 30 years or whatever. But because I had this idea of it's, it's all learning. It's not failure that allowed me to grow. And now she's a self-made billionaire. So that was kind of a mindset thing. And I would say, I think money is all about mindset. Grant Cardone, um, when I had him on, he had a, a fund that was like a $100 million fund that he turned into $1.3 billion, I think, in the next year and a half when I had him on again. And I challenged him. I said, why are you not at a billion dollars when you're at $100 million? And I said, what would it take for you to get there if you needed to get there in the next few months? And he's like, it's just not possible. It's not possible to go that fast, that big, that fast. And I go, but what would it take if you had to, if your life was on the line, your kid's life or whatever, like if there was a way, what would that way be? <laughs> and I remember him sitting there just being like, kind of frustrated that I was asking the question, but also like, he was like, okay, um, well, and he starts thinking, he's unlocking his mind. Like if I had to do it, what would I do? Well, I would f- find this person, I would do this. And I, he just started unlocking something new. And it was almost like he never thought of it that it would be possible that quick. That he didn't allow his mind to imagine the possibilities. So I, I truly believe that money is all around imagination and mindset. Because I never was, never thought I'd be an entrepreneur. I never thought I would make any money. I was like, I'm going to get a job and I'll just take whatever people give me. I was like, why would anyone ever give me money? A lot of it was I just didn't believe in myself and I didn't think I had skills that I could package and sell. And once I shifted that and just started learning about money more and what it really is, I was like, okay. This isn't that hard. Once you get past that initial, like someone giving you a $100, then I was like, oh, I can do this over and over again. And how do I multiply? So i say those two ideas.
1: Those are brilliant, man. This yeah. is great. Everyone's getting recommendations. So <laughs> we've already had recommendations of <laughs> Matthew Hussey, Rob Bell, yeah. Stefan Speaks episode, Grant Cardone, yeah. Sarah Blakely. Like these are all great recommendations yeah, of... Episodes to go and listen to right now. Sure. Anyone who's listening or watching and is asking questions about relationships, money. For me, it's like, I always think of like the three biggest decisions we make in our life, are uh, how we feel about ourselves, who we give our love to and what we do for money. Like those are the three biggest decisions you're going to make. So see, you just do a great way of framing everything. You know, it's and, like, so what
0: we did, what was the first
1: one? The first one is how we feel about ourselves, Like what you said. Yeah. Like that's one of the biggest decisions you make. The second one is who you give your love to and who you get love from. And the third one is what you do for money. And, so and, the, and the fourth one is how you serve the world. Yeah. Who have you interviewed that you think has really found a unique or different way? Because I know you've interviewed like philanthropists and charity people. Like, has yeah. there been anyone who like- I would say I would add a fifth one to that. Yeah.
0: I'd, what do you do to take care of your health? Yes. Like mental and physical health. Like yeah. how are you taking care of your physical body to have the energy to then- Absolutely. Give love and receive love, but sorry to cut that question
1: off. No, 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 that's good. No, it's good. So those, actually, let's do both those questions. So who's given the best uh, advice around service and making a difference in the world? Not just advice, but someone who may be doing something really amazing. Adam Braun, for me, Mm. is someone I think of instantly. He
0: had the idea to honor his grandmother, who was a Holocaust survivor, and say, I wanted to do something good in the world. I want to build a school for kids. I want to help kids in need. I want to honor my grandmother by having it named after her, the school. He built one school. And now I think they've built, I don't know, three or 400 schools. And when I interviewed him, just his way of thinking about service was so much greater than me at the time. I was just like, man, his life is truly on purpose. Like Mm -hmm. this is the essence of on purpose Mm -hmm. is Adam Braun and his commitment to serving his cause, which was education for all because mm-hmm. he believe that educate if we're educated we can make better decisions we can have better tools resources we can help our family help ourselves and there's so many people that aren't educated in, in the world so
1: and you've been out to guatemala i've been to
0: guatemala yeah. four times i've been to ghana once i've been to laos once to build schools and just be a part of it and i've been doing it for seven eight years now so you know we we can't solve every problem in the world there's a lot of causes that we could serve and i think you have to find out what lights us up like the pain in our heart I go back to your book like you find the pain in your heart and lean into that for me being in a school that didn't work for me is painful like school is a painful thing so how do I make it fun
1: that's the podcast
0: and how do I give back to kids who just don't even have a structure or a teacher in their setting like who don't speak my language how can I serve in that way and so that's why I i was drawn to Pence Promise and and Adam and how he's just like such on a mission for it. So for me, my hand's pretty inspiring. Yeah.
1: I love that, man. And then you added the fifth one, which I agree with. Who's given you the most interesting like physical well being insight? Because you've been an athlete, you are an athlete. Yeah. You've consistently, you understand your body really well. You know, you you love taking your body to the extreme. Yeah. Who's and your mind too. Who in the podcast has given you like physical health advice or insight that kind of changed the way you saw it? I
0: had someone recently, Dr. Rhonda Patrick, uh, who is really inspiring. She's been, she's like a human guinea pig. She wears like, I think it's like a glucose meter or something where she, everything she eats, she tracks like her blood levels to say like, okay, she's studying food and nutrition all day, looking at every research paper. So Rhonda Patrick was really inspiring. Mark Hyman, I've had on a few times. He's great. I think yeah. you've interviewed to him too. Yeah.
1: Just two days ago. Oh, you
0: did? Yeah, he's great. So um, Dr. Gundry is great. There's a lot of great experts out there.
1: Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's amazing. What What I love about your podcast is a thousand episodes is no small achievement. Like genuinely, like I'm glad that we're celebrating it together. Yeah, and, and I Jeez. want this to be a celebration. Like I want everyone who's listening to this podcast to go and listen to an episode of Lewis's nice, podcast. So everyone who's listening to this one, go and listen to an episode of Don't Lewis's podcast. Go listen to the one that we did, the recent one. You can. It's pretty amazing. Cause I feel like I get the
0: best out of you. From-
1: you I mean, you, you got m- more out of me that day and we're doing around two of <laughs> It's amazing. Well. Yeah, yeah. It's amazing. And it was such a weird day too, but, yeah, uh, it's crazy. but, but no, I, I really feel like the reason why I asked Lewis these questions is that I wanted you to hear the breadth of guidance and the depth of audience. Yeah. And the fact that you've done a thousand episodes and you still remember insights and you didn't do well at school shows that you've built the school that you needed. Right. Because well, when you're because interested
0: you could- in topics and you find the right teacher and it inspires you, you're willing to retain more information. And I've, trust me, I've forgotten way more than I've remembered, but- um, But that's what it's about. Yeah, I think it's, I think something that I learned from you is like, we should always be learning. We should always be learning from everyone We should always be learning from ourselves on what's working, what's not working. And we should always be seeking different ways to learn, whether it be like, I'm going to discover, I'm going to listen to something new that I wouldn't normally do. I'm going to read a chapter in a book that I normally wouldn't read. I'm going to go schedule a a meeting with someone that I normally is not in my industry. And I think if we can learn in those ways, we're always going to be full of life. Mm. It's when we stop learning and start thinking we have it all figured out in our space or in our life and relationships, that's when we start to lose our life, Mm. but we become full of life when we have more knowledge and richness to it. So you're a, you're a great mentor in the fact that like you have dedicated your life to learning, you know, you went, you, you went away to essentially stop normal life to go be a lifelong learner as a monk. And then you came back and you continue to do it. And then you share with the world, which is a beautiful, uh, life, man.
1: Well, no, I, I thank you for paving the way for podcasts like mine, like genuinely, like without the school of greatness being such a legacy podcast, Mm -hmm. like podcasts like mine that a newer wouldn't, you know, you, you're part of creating the community and audience of people aspiring to learn these things, right? Like you've been a part of that and, and that's not, you know, and, and whether you like hearing or not, I want, I wanted to know that. (laughs) I
0: appreciate it. Because,
1: you know, I used to watch you do your thing before we even knew each other. Right. So I had seen your books. I had seen your work. I followed you on social media. I, you know, for me, it was like you were and are a leader in this space Mm -hmm. and, and it paved the way for so many more people to do it. Yeah. And you know you've interviewed everyone, like you said, from doctors to health experts to Kevin Hart and Kobe Bryant, Mike and Rodman, and the, Mike yeah, Tyson. Yeah, like you know the 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 breadth of the people that you've interviewed and the depth, the Brene mm-hmm. Brown's, and you know so many incredible guests, Brendan Beschard, and so many other yeah. of mutual friends. Like I just feel like. It takes a lot to keep going for something for this long. It's, and I, it's not easy. Yeah. And I have so, you've been much, doing it for a year and a half now. You know how much work it is just for. I mean, the podcast is potentially some of the hardest work.
0: <laughs> it's so much energy, time, so much energy you, and yeah. time.
1: And, and longevity is something that you, it's not easy. It's yeah. so easy to run. And I've heard you say this before, like you start a podcast for like six episodes and no one listens to so people close it down yeah. or you make videos for 10 and no one likes it. So you close it down and, you know, to keep going for a thousand episodes and to keep mm. growing. Like you just said to me, you know, we just had, I was saying to you, we just had our biggest month last month on the right. podcast. And you said, you just had I know. <laughs> and it's like the fact that after a thousand episodes, you're still having your biggest month shows that you're doing something right.
0: It's crazy, man. I just feel very grateful because it's something I still enjoy. And the moment I stop enjoying it is the moment I'll have to shift what I'm doing because I think, or you know, have someone else host it, or whatever it may be. But I, I see myself wanting to do this for another five years because I was asking questions, dumb questions, as a five year old, fifteen year old, 25, 37 now, and I don't feel like I'm ever going to know the answers. Yeah, I'm going to know some answers. And I'm gonna have some tools. There's always gonna be a different tool or a different way to look at things. And as our society evolves, I mean, look at everything that's happened in Black Lives Matter and political world. And as as things just evolve our health with uh, the coronavirus, like as things evolve and information becomes more accessible, we need to learn these things to evolve as a society. Mm -hmm. How can we be better human beings? How can we strengthen our bodies and our immune system? How can we heal ourselves when there's so much seeming trauma in the air? Mm-hmm. How do we protect our own inner thoughts? Mm-hmm. There's always gonna be something we need to learn. And that's why I'm um, I'm always gonna be a humble student and servant.
1: I love it, man. The perfection. Perfection of life. That's the perfection of life. Your
0: humble servant, man, and a humble student.
1: Yeah, I love it. Lewis, I want to give you your final five, which are the final five questions that we ask on on purpose. Uh, and these are the fast five. So questions are usually answered with one word or one sentence. One uh, word
0: or one sentence. Correct. Okay.
1: Uh, we'll probably go into a few of these answers because... I know I'm going to love them and be interested. What are the top three questions that you think you ask a lot of guests that give you their heart? And how can people also ask those questions in their own life? Um,
0: It's usually before the interview. Mm. I ask everyone, is there anything off limits? And if they say no, then I say, then do I have permission to go anywhere and everywhere to make this the most powerful conversation you've ever had? Mm to ground them. Mm. So asking people for permission, I think is a great question. Do I have permission to ask you some challenging questions that, that are going to help me and help us connect more? Or do I have permission to maybe talk about stuff you would never talk about? Like asking for permission, mm. I think is a powerful question. Second question that I, I'm such an against the question of what do you do? where did you go to school? What's your work? I'm just like over that question because I've been in so many networking events and that's what I get all the time that I try to just ask a question that most people would never think to hear or get when they meet someone new, which is simple stuff. Like, what are you most grateful for right now?
1: Mm.
0: What are you most excited about in your life right now? What's something you wish you were doing that you're not doing right now that would excite you? Any one of those three gets people to like stop, pause, and they they almost always look up.
1: Yeah, Yeah. Huh?
0: Because they have to search for it yeah it's not a quick response Oh, i'm in marketing i'm in this it i'm whatever it's let me connect to like a higher source to my heart to like and dream for a second And if you get people to dream and connect to their heart they're always going to get deeper into the relationship and deeper into the conversation that by the end of this five, 10 minute conversation they're going to go away saying that's the most interesting person i've met today mm. and you didn't have to say anything you don't have to show off. You don't have to talk about yourself. You just have to ask a better question. So that would be the second one. The third one, um, what are you most proud of in your life?
1: Mm.
0: I think people really like to think about the things they're proud of. Mm. And it also thinks about what they're not proud of. So it gets them focused on how they can become better. So those three things.
1: I love those, man. Okay, so number one challenge, <clears throat> everyone listening and watching right now. I want you to ask those three questions to someone in your life. Yeah. Because there's such easy questions to ask. And actually, even the permission question is so beautiful because it's going to allow that person to open up to you. To
0: be more vulnerable. Yeah,
1: I love that. Yeah, yeah it's going it's to gonna improve vulnerability in your life. Yes. So everyone, I want you to find one person this week that you're going to ask those three questions yeah. to because they're beautiful. Okay, great. Uh, second question for you is, what do? You, what is something in life that you're certain about that you think other people would disagree with you on?
0: I mean, something I grew up in, which is a uh, a philosophy, a, a religion, a mindset, that, um, two things. One, I grew up in a religion called Christian Science, which is, which is actually the same religion that Ellen grew up in. Mm. Her her dad passed away a couple of years ago and he was a Christian scientist till the day he died. She did a nice little memorial on TV talking about it. But Ellen had some challenges in the religion because, um, extreme Christian scientists, I would say do not support like same sex relationships. So I think there was some challenge there that was really like uh, struggling for her. And I'm no longer, let's say, you know, in the religion per se, but I believe in some of the philosophies that it taught me early on. I don't believe with all of it, but there's some of it. Number one is we are just an idea. We are thoughts and we are spiritual thoughts and we can heal the physical body through spiritual thought. Mm. So that's one thing, mm. idea that I think people would say, well, I don't agree with that because right. we're matter and this. and the.
1: Right, right, right.
0: And um, my grandfather used to tell me that Christian science also stands for CS, the, the letters also stand for common sense.
1: Mm.
0: And that if you are in pain, if you've broken something, you know, go to the hospital, get it set, take medicine if you need to, so you can get back to a place of a peaceful mind And then heal yourself with your thoughts. Yeah. So it's funny coming back and doing the podcast now, hearing guys like Joe Dispenza and Marissa Peer and all these other great and yourself talking about like, it's all in the thought. It's in the mind. It's in like how you think about yourself and how you reflect about yourself and your imagination that I'm like, this is all stuff I heard growing up in this religion. So I truly believe that we are spiritual ideas, even though I wrestle with it sometimes when I feel physical stuff and I'm in a physical body, but We are led by our spiritual thought. Uh, The second thing is a a lesson my dad taught me as well. He never celebrated my birthday. And I think you've seen a video of me talking about this. I love that video. And I remember when I was like nine or 10, I was upset around my birthday time. And I was like, dad, why don't we celebrate my birthday? Do you not love me? And uh, my friends have, uh, the kids in school have like birthday parties and this and that. They get cakes and balloons and presents. And I never got anything. And I was like, do you not love me? And he said, I love you very much. Yeah. But I, I love you so much that I don't want to celebrate your age because I never want you to be limited by how young or how old you are because so many people that he kn- knew would always say, I'm too old to do this. Wow. I'm too young to do this. I could never do this. My time has passed. And I was like, you can still buy me a cake, Dad. Like, <laughs> take me out to ice cream. And he's, he did. He just celebrated me in other ways. But that lesson has stuck with me because it was painful And it hurt me that it didn't happen for many years. But when I learned the lesson, I started to really appreciate and say, you know what? You're right. Like, when I was an early teenager, I was like, screw it. I can be a varsity as a freshman. Like, who cares if these guys are four years older than me? I've been working harder for the last four years. I can play with these guys. Like, I never doubted myself, my abilities to have a shot at something.
1: Mm.
0: And I think it was like this, I don't know. It was this... I just didn't have a programming that limited me early on in certain things. I'm sure I'm limited in other ways, but it wasn't holding me back from going after what I wanted. And I think that never has held me back from like launching a book or a podcast or events, like things I'd never done in my life, and didn't know how to do, it didn't stop me from trying. Mm. So I was grateful for those ideas.
1: Those are amazing, man. Those are big ones, they're deep ones, I love those. It's interesting what you were saying about your father and and it's really about understanding why he did it, yeah. which is what makes it so interesting. And and whether- Because he didn't explain it for years until I came <laughs> to him and said, do you not love me? Yeah. <laughs> and, and and I felt that, so with my parents too, like we never really celebrated my achievement. So we always celebrate my birthday. But if I achieved something, we didn't really celebrate it. So if I got good grades, it was like, okay. If I- you got straight A's, they were just like, it was expected. Expected, it was expected that I would do- something like that, not because I always did, but just because it was kind of taken, not taken for granted, but expected Mm -hmm. is the right word. And so I don't think they did this consciously, but what it did for me, and this is partly why I think it's always about how you perceive something. The way I took that is it stopped me seeking their validation because they never had a big response to what I was doing. I just started having my own response to what I was doing. So I stopped wanting them or needing them to be proud or to be excited for me or anything, because I was like, Powerful. I'm just going to give that to myself. So that was a, was that a good thing then that they did not acknowledge your accomplishments? Or I think it? for me, I took it as a great thing. Yeah. Uh, and, and then the other thing that it gave me was I always stopped being complacent because, because we didn't over exaggerate a celebration I could always gradually go and go, okay, what's next? What am I going to build next? What am I going to focus next? And I think my wife definitely has brought more of a celebratory aspect in my life. You've been we to need my that.
0: yeah, we do need because me and you were just like, okay, it's done, go. Yeah. Next, bigger, better. It's yeah. not good enough. Like, we need yeah. to like, okay, let's take a moment.
1: Yeah, exactly. Like and you we were get, at my surprise party uh two years ago. By the way, if you yeah. want to get on Jay's good side, he loves birthdays. So
0: send him a nice gift or something or just a, a nice card and he will remember it for sure. Yeah, meaningful.
1: It does yeah, well, meaningful. Yeah, yeah. Ask me something that I would, like my 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 definition of a gift is something that I wouldn't get for myself. Right. Like and so it doesn't and have That written to, card is a meaningful gift. Totally, cuz I I going to write a card <laughs> to myself. Jay, Jay you're amazing Jay. to myself. <laughs> <laughs> no, I appreciate birthdays because my parents always did a big thing on birthdays. Yeah, 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 but but yeah, you've been to my parties and my wife has really brought celebration to my life because yeah, she dude. comes from a family where they celebrate a lot. Um, but anyway, okay, that is question number two. <laughs> Going back to it, okay. <laughs> number three is a question that I know people would love to hear from you. If someone wants to uh, start reading, what are three books that you would recommend that have had a big impact on your life? I mean, I've already read about 15 books in my life probably cover
0: to cover. So the ones that have been impactful for me is the alchemist, which I think is one of your favorite. Love it. Yeah. The alchemist, I think, uh, you know, it comes back to like the treasure in our heart and what's already within us. And like, just discovering that and finding that. And I think so often we get comparison game, we get off track, we get distraction game where we don't remember like what's our true legend inside of us. So that's, that's one. I would say, I'm not, I mean, I'm not saying this because you're here. I think your book, Think Like a Monk, is seriously just like an amazing, like I want to keep going through it because it's just like every two pages has an example, a model, a framework where it's you can apply it to your life. Okay. So I think that's the modern version of probably like 10 to 20 books of the past in the personal growth space and in this kind of mindset space that I think is going to be the the standard for the next 10 years. So I would say that one. And then I would say... Um, there's a book that just popped in my mind called Influence by Robert Cialdini.
1: Oh, yeah, I've seen which, yeah, I've never read that. Which
0: either. I just believe so much about life is understanding human nature and mm-hmm. human psychology and human behavior. Mm-hmm. You, know, you and I study human behavior a lot. And so much of this is, it doesn't matter how talented you are, if you can't influence someone to see your talent or to buy your talent or mm-hmm. to... Watch your talent or read your talent. It doesn't matter unless you learn how to influence in an ethical, moral way other people to desire something that you can create. Whether that's uh, influence people to desire you in an intimate relationship, a friendship, uh, you know, your family members. So they desire you like all these things. Understanding these are, I think, it's seven areas of how to influence oh, wow. people on anything. And I learned this back when I was learning online marketing. When I was making no money, I read this book, and it gave me the tools to then say, "I have an idea. How do we get people to buy into this idea?" It's the same strategies that politicians use, and you know, when when people are trying to build a campaign. So, Amazon uses these strategies. Like every big company uses these kind of mm-hmm. seven or eight key factors of influence. And so, I nice. would say that book. It's a much more dense kind of like research-based yeah, book, probably yeah, stuff yeah. you would like. <laughs> it's not an easy read, but it's like, it tells all the research behind it all. So nice. those three.
1: All right. Thank you, man. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. Question number four and five. Four is what's the biggest lesson you've learned in the last 12 months?
0: I'm trying to think of the right word. I think it's, I think it's patience. Mm. Uh, it's it's probably patience coupled with, what's the word? Just not, trying not to react and constantly put myself in another person's shoes. It's just like a lack of patience and perspective and not reacting when someone else is trying to come at you. Yeah. So it's been really challenging, but it's like teaching, I've been learning how to do that better, to just breathe, make sure. And when I react, it's like, oh, I didn't follow the meditation in the morning. I need to meditate more. It's like, so just having patience and more perspective has been the big lesson.
1: I love that, man. Okay, and fifth and final question. If you could create a law that everyone in the world had to follow, what would it be? Gosh, the first thing that came to my mind was,
0: you have to believe in yourself, because I believe that oh, what a law. I believe that self-doubt is the killer of every dream, mm. and so many of us die with our dreams in the graveyard we don't have dreams that we have imagination we don't manifest the ma- imagination we don't become the alchemists of our life and create something beautiful our talent our gift our purpose because of doubt mm. and if we believed in ourselves more we would be ruthless in our actions on creating it or at least going for it so i'd say the law of Believing in yourself and that there is no such thing as self-doubt. Um, that's the first thing that came to mind, but I was also say, like, just loving and having more compassion, like the law of love and compassion, because that would end every war and every fight and political issues, like just having that law of love would be amazing.
1: Yeah, I love that. Lewis, how's everyone? If you want to read more from Lewis, of course, the school of greatness, which was his first book, his second book. The Mask of Masculinity. I'm excited for the next one. I felt like oh, man. you could take like anything you said in this podcast and go straight into a new book. So I'm, I'm buzzing for that one. And uh, I just want to say to everyone listening and watching, go and check out the School of Greatness reaching its thousandth episode which is an insane achievement i want to celebrate luis i want to celebrate this incredible legacy that he's created and leaving as well and continuing to build i'm excited to see who else is coming on the show it, man. and i just want to say a big thank you to you man this has been so much fun it's great we're to do more uh, of this yeah oh 100 oh 100 like, you need to come back to
0: think of like Catchphrases for us, like the athlete and the brain, yeah. or the <laughs> no. the mind and the heart, or something. Is like we got to come together. Yeah, know? yeah,
1: no, for sure, for sure. I love this, man. This was so fun, and uh, more than that, I really appreciate you sharing and opening up your story, being vulnerable. Because it doesn't matter how many times you've shared it, it's it's always vulnerable. Yeah, and and so it always requires you. And and today, the way you shared it, I felt so coached by you through it. Mm that every time you were sharing so many practical insights for us that we can actually do. So anyone who's listening and watching, make sure you go back to the episode and do the activities that Lewis is saying. It's not good enough to just know them and hear them and think, oh, that's cool. Actually go and do them mm. and experience the difference in your life. But Lewis, thank you, man. Love you, brother. Thank you so much. Uh, tag us both on Instagram with any insights and wisdom that stuck out. It's at Lewis and at Jay Shetty, tag us on Instagram, on Twitter. Tell us what you learned from today's episode, what you're testing, what you're trying. And stay tuned for so many more episodes coming of on purpose. And a big thank you again, Lewis. Thank you so much for thank doing you. this.